From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story. Stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right. If you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right. Speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Bangalore, Karnataka, India, operating out of Los Angeles, California, he is the founder of TARS, Ish Jindal. Ish Jindal, welcome to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. That was nice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm sure you've never again. had an introduction quite like that before. So you've got a lot to you've got a lot to live up to. I've set the bar quite high for you. But I'm, sure you will, I'm quite certain you will, will reach it. Um, we are in episode one here of the new season of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. My guest today is, in fact, Ish Jindal. If that was not already obvious, Ish is the founder of Tars. TARS, what is TARS? Well, it's a company all about improving your landing page experience so that you have more successful PPC ad campaigns. Uh, TARS operates out of Los Angeles, California, as well as Bangalore in the country of India. They've bootstrapped their entire operation. They're at 10 full-time employees doing $600,000 in annual recurring revenue with roughly 200 customers to their name-ish. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was a great intro as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Now, what we are talking about today is advanced customer segmentation. And this has been something that's really helped the TARS journey. So can you just tease our audience real quick here on why this is so important to you and, and why it's on your mind? Right. Uh, so I think, you know, when we spoke last time, you know, and we were talking about, okay, what should be that topic we should focus on. I think uh, one thing we spent a lot of time last year, the whole of 2018, is actually figuring out the, the customer segment we should be going after, right? And then why is it so important? Because unless and until you choose the right customer segment, you because for us, we are a product which is, uh, the TAM is really high, the, the addressable market is pretty high, so we could be a very horizontal product, but then, with limited resources and a small team, you can't really do, you can't be really focusing on different industries, different, uh, you know, say a SMB versus a mid-market versus an enterprise. You can't be going after everyone, right? And what we realized is, uh, so for instance, even if you have to write a, as simple as, if you write, if you have to write a piece of content on your blog, you wouldn't really know who should it be for, right? So your marketing messaging goes for a toss, your sales demos goes for a, go for a toss. Like, I mean, you can't really, be very focused in terms of operations, right? So, I mean, we realized last year that customer segment or the segment we were focusing on is something we need to spend a lot of time and effort on. And uh, that's what we did. We, we made ourselves, we narrowed down our segment really well and we are focusing on a very specific niche. Even our messaging has changed quite a lot. Like the intro that you gave right now is very much focused, otherwise, if I was talking to someone, say, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that, right? If five people from our company uh, go to a conference and speak to different people, are they sharing the same story or not? Like even the internal employees, right? It wasn't so because everyone had a very different um, notion of what we were doing. And the same thing goes for anyone external. If they have to explain about what we do, can they share the same story as what we are saying, right? And what you, the intro you gave right now is what I pitched to my customer as well 
which is basically which basically means that the messaging on our website was pretty clear and you were able to understand what we really do. Uh, this wasn't the case last year, and I think one of the uh, things that has helped us is focusing on the customer segment really well and then figuring out the right marketing messaging. So I thought, you know, I can share my journey of how, and the pain points we had, how we went about it, um, how did we go about executing uh, everything after that, and how it has helped us post that. I thought it would be good to share this journey because we spent quite a bit of time. Like it took us a few months uh, for us to figure out that this is the bottleneck for us and this is how we should be solving it. I think other people can just avoid going through the same pain points and spend a lot less time on solving this problem and just move on right and focus on focus on other problems so yeah i mean that, that's why i, I think uh, it made sense to just focus on this um so that and this is one thing that leads to a product market fit in the end because this is your market this is the segment you're going after so how does your product really fit into that segment uh can yeah i think can can help you reach to a pmf really fast so, yeah. And we are going to talk all about that and all about the TARS journey to get to this point. Before we go into that, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Now, you attended college, you got your bachelor's degree in civil engineering. Now, you know, engineering is involved in building a software product, but most people would think you'd go into software engineer if that were the case. Can you tell me, why did you choose that as your degree? And what do you feel like it helped you with in building TARS? So, um, I mean, if you, if you are in India, right, everyone does engineering. So it's not like I was someone different. And, uh, and um, so, it's, 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 so basically at TARS, I'm not the, the one who built the product. It's my co-founder, Vineet, who comes from uh, technical background. He's the one who's built the entire product. So, uh, I think it was a like when we do start off. I think it was good that uh, I was able to take care of sales, the marketing side of things, and then Vinit was able to focus on creating the product. So I think he was primarily involved in there. But then I was involved on you know focusing on the customers, uh, getting customers, doing the marketing, and all of those things. Right. So I wouldn't really say that what I really learned in college could be applied directly into. Um, what I'm doing right now, but then uh, I think those four years when you're in college, you I think you you get a lot of exposure, you get to meet a lot of people, and I think that was a good experience. But I'm not really sure if uh, what I learned in college is something that is contributing right away to what I'm doing right now. So yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that that's what I would say. But because uh, I, I think I think you'll find a lot of people who agree with you on that that they say what they're. <laughs> doesn't necessarily apply today. I will say, I think the benefit is for many people, not everyone, but for many people, you've, if it's not directly the thing you studied, you, you learned a certain framework of thinking or a certain set of like systems thinking that helps you solve problems later on in life. Tell me, um, you know, TARS is not your first venture. You also started a company before this, which was an on-demand marketplace for travelers to connect with locals, which is a very different company and product than right. now. So can you talk through how that idea came about? Talk about that company a little bit and what ended up happening there. Sure. Sure. So, um, so back when I was in college, right, uh, those four years, I, I uh, applied and went to a lot of these student conferences all around the world, right? So I traveled to some four or five countries. It was like hacking your way through uh, going to different countries for free. And these were like student conferences sponsored by different governments. So uh, that's what I was doing, uh, you know, back in college, I was going to a lot of these student conferences, you know, meeting a lot of different people. And what I realized was, you know, when, when you're going to all of these conferences, you get to meet people from all around the world. But then when I was actually hanging out with these people who were locals from that place, uh, the experience was really different. It wasn't really about going to different places and, you know, just looking at the monuments, taking pictures and coming back. It was actually hanging out with someone who was from that place. And when I came back, you know, um, I think what we did, what I personally did was I um, wanted to do something even while I was back in college and I was running a couple of websites just like, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, side hustles while I was still in college as well. So I knew that I would do something uh, of my own at some point of time. But just after college, I worked for a year and a half in a consulting firm, then quit my job. And then uh, what I was doing in this uh, online marketplace for travelers to connect with uh, local hosts was something we had started back in college itself. Uh, the final year of college, we had started this back in college itself, but we didn't really go into it full time just after quitting uh, or just after coming out of college. But then we knew this. I mean, so what we were essentially doing at Padharo, which is the uh, travel marketplace, is very similar to what Airbnb trips or experiences does at this point of time. Just that we were doing it six six years earlier, um, and the market wasn't really ready. Uh, we were in a in a market. Uh, so we were focusing on the Indian market. So we were focusing on people who were coming to India. Uh, so it was focused on inbound travelers coming to India. We were present in around 18 cities, 450 odd greeters or hosts across India. But then the idea was very simple. If you're coming in um, to travel India, there would be a local person in here who would be taking you around and showing you around places, right? So you wouldn't be all by yourself and there'll be a local person taking you around and giving a real insight of the city. Did that for about for about two years. I was doing that for about two years, um, you know, running all of this. And you're right, what I'm doing right now, it's a, it's a very different thing because uh, the travel startup was a B2C thing, uh, focused on a very different industry, very different target segment. And what we're doing right now is very different. So, but yeah, uh, that's how the transition has been. So let's talk about TARS now. As I mentioned in your introduction, this is a bootstrap venture. You've been doing this for three, four mm-hmm. years at this point, almost four years now. You're up to 10 full-time right. employees, 600K annual recurring revenue with roughly 200 customers. And again, as a reminder for everyone, the, the, it's a SaaS platform really focused on helping you get higher converting landing pages. Now, the topic we're, we're, we're going through today is advanced customer segmentation. So to me, I think the best starting point for this is let's talk through who is your customer today and how is that different than who your customer was on day one? Sure. So um, um, before I jump into that question, uh, Ravi, what I would do is give, uh, give us, I'll just take a step back and focus on or just give a context on, on what the product positioning was say three years back compared to now because sure. then you would be able to realize who the customer was because honestly I don't I don't really know who the customer was three years back. <laughs> Sorry. Because <laughs> we were just going after anyone and everyone who would pay. So uh, but then <clears throat> so you've already introduced as to what we do at TARS right now, but um, just to make the um, you know make the context really better we at this point of time we basically help marketers who are running paid campaigns so think of google ads facebook ads what happens right now is you would click on an ad and then you would land into a static landing page which would have a form on it right and then what really happens is nobody likes to fill out these forms because they're really boring and um, what ends up happening is 90 95 percent of the people just drop off so if you're spending $10,000, say, on ads, or $100,000 on ads in a month, and you're generating, uh, basically, 95% of that money is just going to drain because you're not converting. And what you're essentially doing is, after you click on an ad, you would land into a conversational landing page. That's what we call it. And what what's really happening is, after clicking an ad, you land into an automated conversation. It's essentially a chatbot. Uh, it's a... It's an automated chat on your browser. That's what you're going through. So if you are searching for car insurance on Google, it will, and you see, say, a progressive ad, uh, it'll say, hey there, looks like you're looking for car insurance. Uh, do you already have an insurance or not? Right. And it's basically asking one question at a time and taking the user through the entire conversation flow or through a sales funnel. But at the core of it, the technology is a chatbot that you've created. Right. Uh, three years back, we were a platform where you could create chatbots. That's what we were. We were a horizontal platform, and our and our positioning used to be uh, 
create engaging conversational chatbots. That's what our tagline used to be compared to right now. And you can see the difference, right? We used to focus on the technology proposition rather than the business proposition. We were fo focusing on you can create engaging chatbots, and right now it's you can increase your conversion rate by fifty percent, right? So let me so pause. Not right about there. us. Let me pause you right there because that's a really important distinction you made. There is for everyone listening. There's a difference between a technology proposition and a value proposition, and not a hundred percent of the time, but probably ninety plus percent of the time, a, a technology proposition is not going to land with your audience because the reality is they don't really care how the sausage gets made. They just want to know what's it going to help them do. And what a lot of companies are doing is putting out these technology propositions. Now, granted, Ish, your product may have been different at that point, right? It was about building chatbots, but it sounds like what you're saying is what you were pushing into the market was more or less the the process of building a chatbot and less what can you actually do with a chatbot. Is that, does that sound right? I mean, so the product hasn't really changed. It's the same product. Like what we really changed in the product was the was the home page of the website and the pricing page. Those are the two pages we essentially changed in the entire product, right? The product was essentially the same. It was just that we were focusing we started focusing on a different segment with a different positioning, right? And okay, okay. So was the same. Let me let me yeah. clarify then. Um because I think so not, so you clarified that for me. So let me just repeat that back so everyone's on the same page. Your product is, you know, aside from a couple of, you know, just like software upgrades, your product is the same as it was then. However, what you found was wrong before was your, your landing page, your site was all about talking about the concept of building chatbots. Now it's about the result that essentially a better landing page would give you. Right. And what aids in a better landing page is a conversational chatbot. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. So continue on with what you were saying then. Right. So, so, I mean, you can see, right, the, the whole uh, positioning has changed from what you can do using the platform to what you would get um, out of the platform as well, right? You're spending, say, $500 per month using a product. How much you can actually make is a calculation you can easily do just by looking at the numbers, right? So you, we can tie up our pricing to the value proposition or the, to the ROI pretty clearly. Right. So I think three, three years back when, when we just started off, so we, we launched the product early 2016, so it's been almost three and a half years at this point of time. Uh, when we, re you know, initially launched, we just looked at, so we still knew that we wanted to solve the problem of form. Like the problem has pretty much remained the same. Uh, we were still focusing on, uh, forms that were not doing great on mobile devices and we knew we were solving this problem. So we were going ahead. Um, we were going after businesses who have forms as a part of their uh, buying process. And can we replace that buying process, which was happening over forms, uh, with a, with an automated chatbot, right? So, but we were still very, very horizontal. So this could be a real estate agent who has a, who has a form on his website, or this could be a, a market broker, or it could be an insurance company, it could be a healthcare company, it could be, um, you know, a doctor, it could be anyone, you know, literally, uh, who could use a farm or a, a who could have a farm. And then over time, we said, okay, you know, now the chatbot thing is becoming really cool and everything. And then everyone wanted a chatbot, right? And that's when we, we got influenced by the external hype as well. And then people would come to us, uh, you know, like e-commerce companies would come to us and say, can you help us build a chatbot which can automate our customer support? Uh, can you help us build a chatbot which can help us drive more employee engagement? Now, these use cases are very different from where we started off. And then, um, you know, within the first day itself, we found that we had spread ourselves really thin in terms of the use cases, in terms of how people were using us as well. Um, compared to right now, we have a very defined ideal customer profile. It's, it's as clear as we're focusing on marketing managers, marketing directors who, who are running paid campaigns, spend so much so on ads on a monthly basis. These are the geographies they're based in. These are the industries they're in as well, right? So it's become very, very defined. Like if you give me 
uh, names of 10 companies i can clearly say i will go after these three and i won't go after the rest seven because it's a very clearly defined metric yeah so that said can you talk us through the process you went through to say okay this is our target buyer but that person's not even though they're both you know they might all have use case for the platform you know this is who it makes sense right. for to focus on exactly so um uh, so i can um, okay let me actually think how what would be the best way to frame this but then um basically when you're thinking about the segment it's actually multiple parameters right now the first parameter could be the size of the business this could mean what their revenue like how many team members and stuff like that right this could be an smb this could be a mid market company this could be an enterprise right the second could be what is the use case are they looking for a lead generation use case are you are they looking for a customer support automation are they looking for feedback surveys there could be a ton of uh, you know use cases third thing we would look at is okay what geography are we going after are we going after the north american market are we going after western europe are we going after south american market which market are we going after the next thing was what are the industries we are focusing on are we focusing on insurance are we focusing on uh, real estate or what not right and th- these are certain parameters so what we realized is everything was a moving parameter and in our case so which is a really bad position to be in because all of these parameters were moving uh, in our case and you know if one or two parameters are moving it's still fine but then in our case everything was moving so how did we how did we come across or how did we land on our current uh, customer segment is we went back and looked at how our most successful customers have been using our platform and what is that way or what is for for who i mean out of these customers who are those customers for whom we are easily able to justify the the roi of our platform like is it simple to justify the roi or not and secondly who have been using it really well and how they have been using it as well and what we realized was Uh, like 90% of our customers who were really like and it wasn't really about uh, how big they were or how small they were it was just about the product usage um who out of these customers were using the product really well and what you realize is um, 90% of our customers have been had been using our our chatbots for lead generation which would essentially mean they would have a chatbot in their on their website in their marketing campaigns in their paid campaigns people were driving uh, you know customers directly to the chatbot landing pages or the chatbot link uh, because in our case the chatbot really works on a link so people were doing these uh, campaigns in you know over sms so in certain geographies you can still send out uh, you know like mass messages and people would send out sms with a link to a chatbot people would click on this chatbot and land directly on their right and people had been using our chatbot specifically for lead generation and and they were doing the same thing they were essentially replacing their existing forms with a chatbot for lead generation so we were very clear that we are going to focus on lead generation as a use case uh, we are going to focus on forms as the problem we are going to and then we all we had to figure out is you know okay people are replacing their forms with a chatbot that we are creating uh now where do people spend money to make people to fill out forms like where do you spend money like you spend money on google ads to make people to fill out forms now if people are okay paying money uh to google to fill out to make people to fill out forms they might as well pay us so that more people can fill that out right so that was a simple you know simple way to think about who our target segment should be and then that's how you know we said let's focus on marketers who is spending uh, you know a certain number of or certain amount of dollars on ads on a monthly basis and go after them and then it was simple to figure out the industries as well because like for instance we don't go after e-commerce we don't go after b2b businesses because you don't really have a form on an e-commerce website right so we don't go after them so yeah that's i mean i don't know if that gives you 
uh, that I yeah, stole. No, 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 that, that was fantastic. And, and I want to pull three specific things from that that you said. Because uh, I think they're probably, when phrased as questions, I think they're three of the most important questions a company can answer for themselves as they are achieving product market fit. And the, the, the three things that I pulled out from what you said were, number one, how are the most successful users using our platform? Number two, how do they justify paying for this to themselves, right? And number three, if you take that, that group of people and you know, replicate it, where, do, where does that group of people spend their money already to accomplish this thing? Now, using those three questions, and just let me know, like, yes or no, did I, did I characterize that okay? Yes. Okay. Right. You, I mean, these questions seem very simple, but then these are very existential questions, I would say. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's easy when I write it out, and it's easy to say it out loud. It's a little bit tougher to actually put it in practice. So given right. that it's tougher in practice, let me take that first question of how are the most successful users using our platform? Um, Given that understanding or that, that question in mind, how, does, how did TARS specifically define what success was for the end customer? Say this person's more successful with it versus that customer. Right. So for us, uh, I still feel product usage is the biggest metric we use internally to see if a customer is going to stick with us for a long time or not, right? And when I say product usage, this essentially means if there are enough number of sessions happening on the chatbots, like, so for instance, if you're getting thousand submissions or thousand chats a day on your bot, that means you're a very active customer for us. If you are coming back and trying to optimize your chatbot flow on a regular basis, that means you are a, you're a active customer for us. Like you are making an effort in optimizing your chatbot workflow. The third thing we would say is, you know, if you if you're using chatbots in multiple campaigns of yours, like you just not made one chatbot landing page, but then you had made multiple um, chatbot flows and using it actively across different marketing campaigns. Again, we would classify this as a as a successful customer because this guy is really coming back and using the product really well. He or someone or you know someone wouldn't do that if the product was not working out for them. So product usage I've seen generally defines if a customer is successful or not. Like they might be paying you very little <laughs> compared to your um, non-active customers, but then these are the customers you should be focusing on. Now, did you in that question in that answering process of? Uh, who, like, how are we defining success? I would assume at least naturally this also comes into the conversation, but perhaps actively you were looking at it as well. But do you also look at customer churn to say who's sticking with us the longest? Yep. So, I mean, that's actually a byproduct of product usage. If someone is not using your product really well, uh, they are eventually going to churn, right? Uh, so, I think at the, at the core of it, all of it boils down to product usage. If a customer is using your product really well, they're not going to churn, their LTV is going to be pretty high. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a byproduct of their usage again. Well, okay, so let me ask you this then. Um, and I, I don't know if you have an answer for this based on how you guys went through this process, but I guess when you look at customer usage rates, right? And like churn is going to be lower if they're using the product more or getting more value out of the product. How much of that, I mean, maybe you know for, from TARS specifically or from maybe just observation at large, but how much of customer usage and customer product you know, success falls on your internal team to educate them properly and have, you know, have a good onboarding process versus right. own, like, you know, their own knowledge and their own just like, natural behaviors of using technology. Right. I mean, I would say it's, it's not just about their behavior, but their willingness as well to do something, right? So some people just, I mean, it's, it's that, um, you know, it's very similar to you paying for a gym membership. You, you, are, you have the right state of mind to go to the gym, but then you don't have the willingness to go to the gym and you would just keep paying and never use the gym, right? I think it's very similar 
in a SaaS um, environment as well. Like I have been paying for the gym membership, but I'm not, I'm sure I'm not an active customer for them. Right. Right. And, and, and you're saying but, that that's yeah. a bad customer to have, even if they keep paying and, but never use it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. I mean, for sure, because you would never get to, uh, because you would never get to see why someone is paying you because this customer is never going to respond to your emails, never going to respond to your calls, never going to help you. Um, you know, this customer won't be after you in terms of what they really need because they're not even using it, right? So it's okay to just let them go because they are, and like in a bootstrap environment, you wouldn't really let go of such customers because uh, you really need that cash. But then uh, you should really know what is a good MRR, what is what's a bad MRR for you. Yeah. Yeah, and and then I think that you just said it there very perfectly. It's it's not that you you don't necessarily kick them off the platform. You're just you're just you're telling yourself and you're telling your team this is not our target market. They might be paying us, but exactly. they are not who we're going after. And 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 the good MRR versus bad MRR that you stole the words right out of my mouth because um, it reminded me as you said that of I mean I did an episode two years ago with. Um, with an entrepreneur, uh, his name is Scott Hardesty. We talked about this concept of good revenue versus versus bad revenue, right? Bad revenue might be money in the door, but it doesn't help inform you of the next dollar you're going to make. Good revenue, exactly. money in the door, but it also helps lead you to the next money in the door. Right. Exactly. I mean, so uh, this this I mean, I think. Everything is so connected. Like if a customer is using you really well, he would refer a good, give you a good review, give you a good testimony, give you a good case study. You can showcase it and try to get similar customers like him. But then if you are working with the best enterprise out there and they're not using you, they're as good as not having a customer, right? I mean, it's good money. I mean, it's a good amount of money, but then they don't really help you replicate the same thing over and over again, which is something you need in SaaS, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to go back to like the gym membership analogy, you know, you know, a lot of gyms actually, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, it's not a direct analogy only for the fact that like, yes, subscription model, but gyms actually make their money and they bank on the fact that people won't show up as much as they think they will. Yeah. Right? They bank right, on right, right. Who, yeah. pay, who do the new year's resolutions and then give up after February, but they keep paying for the next two years. Um, and right. a lot of that is because of us literally like capacity of the building thing, right? They can't have every member right. all the time. But I think the other thing though, with a gym that's different than say landing page uh, conversion software is many people like the feeling, even if they never go, there's some sort of ego boost to saying I have a gym membership, which lets you feel like you're a little bit healthier in life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, so I was taking that analogy because I wanted to focus on, the willingness of the customer to use your product because uh, say uh, from your, so some things you can control from your side when you're building the product, when you're building your team, uh, you can have a pretty good onboarding in your product. You can have a very good success team taking care of your customers, but then uh, you can't really do something about a customer who doesn't have a willingness to use your product. Right? Like it's very tough to push someone to use your product. So things which are under your control, if you're building a good product and you want to build a good company, you would keep those things in mind. I mean, they won't be perfect, but you would keep making those or evolving those processes. Like we knew that our, um, like we need to have a great success team and we are making efforts to build a very strong customer success team, customer success process and structure. It's not, it's not hundred percent, but then, we're making every effort to get there, right? But what I really can't control is the customer on the other end who doesn't really want to use the product, but still wants to pay, right? So, so yeah, I mean. So we're, we're, we have about five or so minutes left here. So I want to get through the next couple questions and just everyone as a reminder, yeah. we're here with Ish Jindal on Startup Hype Man podcast. He's the founder of TARS talking advanced customer segmentation. So the two other questions we identified as part of that like sequence you kind of built to figure it out for TARS, um, we just talked through answering how are the most successful users using our platform? How do you come to that answer? Now the second question is, okay, we've identified them. Now how do they justify paying for this? So is that something where you actually 
reached out to them and said, hey, we'd love to get 10 minutes of your time to talk about how you're enjoying the platform or, or how did that go about? Right, so when we, were, when we were actually switching from what we had been doing to what we wanted to do, uh, what we did is we actually had, like I was doing about seven to eight conversations a day with customers, right? And so I would do calls till like three or 4 a.m. my time uh, in the morning or at night, whatever you want to call it. But then uh, I was doing those calls and trying to get a sense of what do they do right now and what do they really care about. So I can give you an, um, I can give you an example of it, right? Now say someone is spending $10,000 in ads at this point of time, right? And say they are generating 100 leads a month. So which basically means your cost per lead is 100 and 200 is 10,000. So your cost per lead is $100, right? Now you go in and say, um, hey Mark, look, I am going to help you get 50% more leads. So you were getting 100 leads earlier. Now you're going to get 150 leads. So first thing you've done is you reduce the cost per lead by so you, the, now the cost per, uh, the cost per lead would be ten thousand dollars by one fifty, which would be about six hundred dollars or sixty dollars. Sorry. So you've reduced the cost per lead by forty percent, right? Which is a clear metric for them. But then how you would I, how I would justify my value is I would say you know hey Mark you look you've got fifty more leads. Say your closure rate is 25%, which means you'd be able to convert 10 more leads. How much does each customer pay you? Say each customer pays you 500. You've got 5,000 extra dollars just because of me in that case, right? Would you be happy to pay $500 to pay? So I feel if, if you can justify at least 10x more returns on whatever a customer is paying you, I think it's, I mean, and it's not just about, uh, you know, I think this, these calculations really help in you in defining your pricing as well because you want to do a value-based pricing and not really a competitor-based pricing. So uh, if you look at a pricing, it's very different from how um, other people in the space would do and it's based on the kind of value we are able to deliver. So if uh, someone is paying us 500 a month, we try to make sure that we can add at least $5,000 worth of value for them on a monthly basis, right? So it was a simple calculation that we did, yeah. You know, the interesting thing too, as I look at the pricing page, you're right, very rarely do you see on a pricing page, hey, we have one plan for $99 a month, and then our, our, next, our next one up from that is $500 a month, or $499 a month, right? Usually you see it's like, it'll be way, you know, the two pricing will be like way closer to each other instead of a, a huge leap. And I think what you do with that is, really upfront, you, you sort of like, you're able to segment out what type of customer are they going to be right away, right? Yes, I mean, that's one thing for sure, because uh, what you get in the $99, uh, that means you, you don't really want to use the product really well, you have a very basic use case. But if you are a serious customer, spending serious dollars on that, you would not want to play around with the product, which is like $50 a month, right? Because you, someone who's charging you $50 a month is not going to provide you enough success for you to succeed, right? So in our case, uh, we knew that we would be able to get serious customers who really care about uh, their ROI would be okay with paying $500 a month. And then we were easily able to segment these customers. That was one. And then, I mean, there are other reasons as to why we have a smaller plan and then a higher plan because it's a new category. People don't want to just jump onto a, 500 a month uh, product right away. So we say enter into uh, enter in at a lower price point. Uh, we help them succeed in the first two, three months and then they increase their usage and then they move on to the higher plan. So yeah, that's basically also helping us in moving people across. Yeah, and, and perhaps those who buy the 499 a month are also more viable candidates to ultimately upgrade to enterprise. You know, not everyone, but, but perhaps some of them may end up becoming an enterprise customer down the road. Now, our, exactly. our third and final question of this question set, so we started with ask how are most successful using our users using the platform and figure, out and figure out how you're going to come to that answer. Then we just talked through how do they justify payment. Now, our third question in the, in the process for your own advanced customer segmentation is where do they spend their money to do this? Did that, 
did that come from those same conversations you were having to, for the previous question or elsewhere? So, um, so I think um, that's actually true because you, you get to see what are these customers paying for other tools that they've been using. And for us, it was, it was a bit different because we were just trying to figure out, okay, people want their customers to fill out forms. We just had to figure out, uh, you know, where were people spending money to make people to fill out forms, which is pretty straightforward, right? People are just running ads to do that. And we said, you know, let's focus on this particular segment because they're spending a lot of money on uh, every month. So their marketing budgets are high. This is, they're already doing this. They really care about their um, CVR, which is the conversion rate. They, they go out and search for keywords like CRO, uh, conversion rate optimization, conversion rates, and stuff like that. So I think that was simple. But then um, I think it, it, this there is something that would vary from product to product and from segment to segment as well. Um, like if someone had to target me as a customer, um, they would also want to look at, okay, which are those tools where we spend the maximum amount of money? And can they build something which is adjacent to that? because we would end up spending more money on those tools as well because we really care internally about that, right? So it could be that way, but I, I don't really know uh, how you would do it across different products. It was simpler for us because it was a pretty pretty simple equation in our case. But I think this is, this is a tricky question or a tricky problem to solve as well because this is something you would get to know only if you're able to have a lot of these customer conversations, yeah. Well, all of that said, you again, you've gotten to $600,000 annual recurring revenue, 200 plus customers. Would you say TARS has achieved product market fit or are you still, you still, are you still not willing to make that statement? Right. So I think uh, internally, uh, we, so PMF is a thing which is, I mean, you can't really say at this point of time, but you just have an internal feeling that this is happening. So uh, we, in, in the last 12 months, we have grown almost 4x in terms of revenue. So we were doing, I mean, like, we weren't doing great, but then I can see the difference at this point of time. We were, we used to be a $49 product 12 months back. Like, if you go back into the way back machine, you would see that we were a $49 product and we've been able to increase our pricing 10x, right? Uh, from a 49 to a 499 and almost like 4x in terms of revenue in the last 12 months, we were just two people, two founders a year back to 10 people right now. So I think we're seeing those um, sort of uh, things happening. And I think we are at a product market fit or if not, if, I mean, if I don't, I mean, that is a very um, sort of a hyped word as well, but I like to think of it as clarity in terms of what we have in terms of the business. like as a team, the clarity in terms of who the, who the customer is, what the product value proposition is, all of it is very clear in, in our mind right now. And I think we have a clear picture of how to probably go to a two or a five mil in the next couple of years. Uh, so that's been the good part. We're getting homogeneous customers, which is really great um, because we didn't use to get homogeneous customers. Now the customers we onboard, they have this exact same use case. Uh, they are very homogeneous in nature which is, again, uh, good for us. So, yeah, I mean, that's where we are. Humble man with a diplomatic answer. Uh, I will say that <laughs> I, I, liked, I like, um, I, I almost wonder if other entrepreneurs and startups would benefit more from instead of calling it product market fit, calling it product market clarity. And then if you, you, know, if you don't have clarity on you know, A, B, and C issues, that's, what, that's how you know you're not there yet, right? So um, I, I like that phrase, product market clarity. One more thing I want to add into this for helping, you know, define your customer and, and, and go into this advanced segmentation. I don't know why more companies don't do this, and, and they don't. Um, but for me, if you if you're going to work with me with Startup Hype Man, if you book a meeting with me through my account, and actually, you know, in a way, I, I'm not like calling Tars out for this, but I'm actually I'm going to give you some some advice here. Maybe it's something you want to you know, adopt here. So sure. you click the button on my website to, to do a meeting with me or, or through whatever like prospecting and, and outreach, right? If you, if you, if you use my Calendly link, right. And I, and I know Tars uses Calendly as well, or 
and you know other companies might use Mixmax. Or but the point is, if you use scheduling software, use that as an opportunity to gather customer information before they are ever on the call with you. And what I mean is, so if you use my Calendly link to book a meeting with me, when you select the meeting, before it's confirmed, you have to answer four or five questions. I want to know, obviously, name and email address, right? That's obvious. But I also ask, um, I also ask, how much money have you raised to date? What's your MRR? How many team members do you have? And what is your biggest challenge related to pitching or telling your customer story? And is this to investors or customers or both? And what that gives me is a laundry list of the challenges that my industry, you know, my clientele faces and my target audience faces, which helps with the future remarketing, right? And the content marketing. And it helps me guide the conversation on the actual demo call, or, or in my case, you know, like the, the consultation call. While, and in the midst of all that, you are able to see, hey, what are the common themes that are coming up from the people who are attracted to our platform, right? And then you can see, okay, is this an outlier or do we get this over and over again? And are those problems that are coming in over and over again, are they converting to customers and are they staying customers at the end of the day? And I'll tell you actually even one more question I added like in the last week was those four or five I just said plus phone number in case Zoom doesn't work. Because do you know what happens? Sometimes people won't show up to a meeting. And if I don't have their phone number, I can't call right. them, text them to say, are we meeting? So I've actually been able to help reduce no-shows by getting phone numbers so I can call them if, they, you know, if they're running later or if they don't show up. Right, so, right, right, right. Makes sense. Now, you know, maybe you'll take that information and run with it. Who knows? But um, Ish, where can our listeners... Um, learn more about TARS, where can they find them? Find you online and where can they learn more about you? Sure, so the simplest way is just to go on our website. It's hellotars.com, H-E-L-L-O-T-A-R-S. Um, and if um, you want to interact with me, I'm on Twitter, Jindal East, J-I-N-D-A-L-I-S-H. Um, you know, and my email is each at hellotars.com. So that's the simplest way. Um, yeah, I mean, I am directly reachable over email as well. So yeah, that's, those are the two simplest ways. Yeah. To close out, can you give us, well, I'll go first, but we'll close out here by respectively giving our, you know, one or two just biggest tech takeaways from this conversation or pieces of advice for the listening audience. For me, um, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit, but it's, uh, it's, I think it's those three questions that we, that we pulled out earlier, which is when it comes to advanced customer segmentation, can you answer how are the most successful users using our platform? How do they justify paying for it? And where do they, and, and if you take that lookalike audience, where are they currently spending them to accomplish? The Ish, one or two high level takeaways from you. So I, I just had a takeaway which I want to go back and implement from uh, something you mentioned in the in the Calendly bit. So what really happens is on every call and every so we don't really collect information about why someone wants to speak with us because we don't have that liberty. Like uh, we we really want to talk to someone who is who is booking a call with us. But then uh, what really happens is I tend to ask these customers as to why they want to use the product or what their challenge in life is. But then what I don't like for all of our salespeople, what they don't really do is we don't have an objective list of challenges that our customers are facing. So someone might have A challenge, B challenge, C challenge, but then we would know and these would be in our notes in HubSpot, but then we won't objectively know what challenges our customers face. And then the marketing team won't really know, know that and they won't be able to use the exact words in, in their ads or in their retargeting on, in their emails and, and whatnot, right? So I think this is something I feel we should go back and implement, which is uh, just objectively classifying all the different challenges our customers face and then uh, using the same exact wording in, 
in our emails, in our ads, and whatever communication we are having. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could, I could help you have that insight. To close <laughs> out yeah. our conversation today, I have one final question for you, which is new for our new season of the podcast here. I would like you to complete the sentence or fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship okay. is blank. Okay. I think it's a, it's a lifestyle. Uh, you, yeah, that's how I would say it. Uh, it's, it's a lifestyle and you just have to be in that lifestyle for a long uh, period of time. Uh, and you have to just be at it. Uh, I mean, people say it's, it's a marathon and, you know, it's, it's, uh, people call it that way as well. But I think it just becomes your lifestyle. You're in that lifestyle. You, you, it's tough to come out of that lifestyle as well. Like for me, it's tough to go back into a corporate job in a big organization at this point of time because what I've been doing for the last few years and at my own thing has just become my lifestyle. And it's very tough to, even wear something formal at this point of time. Like I never wear formal clothes and then that's just my lifestyle, right? So I think it becomes your lifestyle. That's just the way you start thinking as well. And like you would, all the time you would think from a first principle approach, solving every problem, right? Because that's how I've, I've just conditioned my mind. So yeah, I mean, long story short, Call it a lifestyle. Or short short story long. (laughs) Entrepreneurship (laughs) is a lifestyle. You heard it from this horse's mouth. Not a not that was not to say anything about your appearance. I did not mean it in that respect. Uh, Just using the. he is Ishjandal. He is Ishjandal. He is the founder of Tars. You can check them out at hellotars.com. This is this concludes our first episode of the new season of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ish, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me as well. Yeah, it was a great conversation, I feel, and I think this would be helpful. I, I hope this is helpful, and I feel um, you know a lot of people would not you know just repeat the same mistakes that we made. So yeah, right on. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results and ultimately that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well then, why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show, or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out, word up, raise up. Got you howling at the moon, yeah. You should dance with the devil, girl. Instead of sundown, too, yeah. You should dance with the devil, girl. Tell me what you're gonna do, You should dance with the devil, girl. And if you can't get it loose, then follow to the truth.